This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 19. Chapter 19, we're looking this evening at chapter 19 verse 1 through chapter 20 verse 6. Hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord, go buy a potter's earthenware flask. And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocents and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore... Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth, and I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you and shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth because there will be no place else to bury. Thus will I do to this place, declares the Lord, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth, the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the hosts of heaven and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Then Jeremiah came from Topheth where the Lord had sent him to prophesy and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Now Pasher, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. 
Then Pastor beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pastor released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pastor, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with a sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, all the treasure of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried, you and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied falsely. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your grace this evening as we study the Scriptures. Father, we thank you for this passage, a dark passage, uh, and yet your word and edifying and instructive to us. And we pray, Father, for receptive hearts and minds to be able to profit and learn from the text tonight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we saw last time in chapter 18, the Lord sent Jeremiah on a field trip to the potter's shop, where Jeremiah observed the potter at work. He had the clay on the spinning wheel and was shaping it, but verse 4 says it was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed fit for him to do. Well, this time he sent on another field trip, not to the potter's shop, although that's involved, but he is sent on a field trip to the Jerusalem city dump, also known as the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, also known as the Valley of Hinnom, also known in the New Testament as Gehenna, that valley to the west and south of Jerusalem, where the city garbage was taken and dumped, uh, where because uh, the smoldering of that garbage and the smoke arising from that garbage, it was used as an image for hell itself, Not a pleasant place, a defiled place, a dirty place, an unclean place, but that's where the Lord sends Jeremiah. However, first he is to make a trip to the potter's shop to buy, as it says here, a potter's earthenware flask. And he's to take with him some of the town leaders in this uh, expedition, going by the potter's shop and then going to the town dump. The word translated flask is the word bakbuk, Hebrew, bakbuk, which probably uh, is named that because of the way it sounds when you pour water out of the flask, bakbuk, 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 you could try it with a bottle, and it makes the same sound. And so it's, it was called a bakbuk, which actually comes into play uh, later. That's not just trivia. Uh, more on that in just a little bit. The prophecy of Jeremiah is the first thing we want to look at here. The text really consists of three events, the prophecy of Jeremiah, and then also uh, the object lesson that Jeremiah uh, displays uh, before the people, the leaders there, and then finally the opposition to Jeremiah that arises because of his message. 
Well, let's look at the prophecy, first of all, in uh, verses 1 through 9. Again, he's gone. He's gotten his uh, bakbuk, and he's gone with the elders, leaders of the people, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate, uh, apparently near the potter's shop, uh, so named presumably because this is where potters would take broken vessels and throw the shards, throw the remains outside. And so it was called the potsherd gate, broken pieces of pottery, vessels there. And the Lord says, proclaim there the words that I tell you. And he tells him what he is to say. Now, notice, he says, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Here's the basic message. Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Their ears will burn. It's, it's like when you, when you hear news that is so bad or so disturbing, it seems like you feel it from head to toe, just a physical reaction to it. Uh, he says their ears will tingle. It will be such a, such a horrifying event. Why? Well, because, you'll find in the text there's a because here, and there's also a therefore. Because is in verse 4. Because the people have forsaken me. They've turned from the Lord. They've abandoned the covenant. Not only that, he says, they have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, gods they didn't know, their fathers didn't know. They've broken the covenant. They have profaned the place by making false offerings, but they've also engaged in a most hideous practice. They have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Now, whether those two constitute one thing or two things, the blood of innocence maybe being the, uh, maybe being the complete neglect of justice, uh, executing those who are innocent, or perhaps the two are combined, the child's sacrifice constitutes the blood of the innocents. At any rate, they are behaving in ways that offend God. Because these things are going on, we come to verse 6, Therefore, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Now, it already had an unpleasant name. Uh, Topeth, Ben-Hinnom, so forth. Uh, but it'll be called the Valley of Slaughter because of God's judgment, because of the siege, because of the destruction uh, at the hands of the Babylonians. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. They have all their aspirations, all their purposes, all their plans, and the Lord is going to overturn those. Reminds us that ultimately uh, as the Modern proverb puts it, uh, man proposes, but God disposes. We plan in our heart, but it's God who ultimately brings about what happens. He will make void. He will empty their plans and will cause their people to fall by the sword of their enemies in the hands of those who seek their life. And he starts to get pretty graphic here, giving their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and beasts of the earth. That's a familiar description. I remember even way back when David faced off with Goliath, and they both threatened to give each other's bodies as, uh, as food to the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Uh, as we've mentioned, uh, a horrifying prospect, uh, not only in the very contemplation of it, but the, uh, the refusal to have a proper burial, that your body just lies out to become food for the animals. 
The Lord says, verse 8, I'll make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at, or perhaps whistled at. I said last time, you know, someone passes by and contemplates how vicious, how horrific God's judgment is. They just sort of, you know, kind of do that, just in amazement at what has happened. And not only that, verse 9, even descending into cannibalism, I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. Everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege that occurred with Babylon and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. And in fact, Jeremiah later in the book of Lamentation comments on that very thing. Lamentation 4 verse 10, the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Truly horrific to contemplate otherwise compassionate, loving women, mothers, reduced to the point of cooking and eating their own children because they are so hungry and because the situation is so desperate. And who brought this on them? God did. This is the prophecy of Jeremiah, a prophecy of God's wrath, a prophecy of God's judgment. Now, we look at a passage like this and we think, well, you know, that's an Old Testament prophet for you. You know, it's always gloom and hellfire and brimstone and, and, and sieges and all that kind of thing. But, you know, as we look at this passage, we recognize sin that is, is contemporary. Our own wayward hearts, even, apart from God's grace, as he says here, to go in our own way, to forsake the Lord, to profane our lives with sin. Well, you know, child sacrifice, that doesn't go on today, certainly not in the United States. Oh, no. Child sacrifice in the name of convenience, in the name of finances, in the name of principle, would never happen in the United States. I think 50 million aborted children since 1973. And the Lord promises his judgment on his people. Now, we want to be sure to untangle a nation today and the people of God today. They were one and the same back then. Uh, they're not one and the same today, but nevertheless, God is aware of the nations. And we do need to pray for our nation. Because God does punish, as he did in the, in the scriptures, punish nations that were not his covenant people, but nevertheless had sinned against him and were so wicked that he sent his judgment upon them. And certainly in the case of Jerusalem, in the case of Judah, uh, God's visible church in the world, they had reached a point where uh, they had so turned their back on God, they were almost unrecognizable. And you think of denominations today who have endorsed wickedness. I think of one in particular that has come out and flatly said against the association that's a part of in the world, no, we think ordaining homosexuals to the ministry is a good thing. So whether it's a nation that calls good evil and evil good, or a so-called church that calls good evil and evil good, God is not mocked, and his judgment will fall. And frankly, as we look this morning, the judgment that is to come makes the judgment that fell on Jerusalem look like a cakewalk by comparison. The prophecy of Jeremiah is the prophecy of judgment from the Lord against all who sin against him, all who turn their backs on him, all who go their own way, all 
particularly, who flaunt his repeated calls to repent and to turn to him and to receive his grace. Well, then it's followed by the object lesson. The prophecy is, is, is graphically demonstrated in a simple but attention-arresting way. Look at verse 10. Then you shall break the flask, Jeremiah, in the sight of the men who go with you. You shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. Very simple thing. Break the flask. Remember, they're outside the potter's gate. They're surrounded by broken pottery. All around them, pieces of broken pottery. And here's this flask, this earthenware flask. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, take that and break it. Because that is what I'm going to do to you this people, this city, as one breaks a potter's vessel so it can never be mended. You see, the difference between chapter 18 and chapter 19 is that when the vessel went wrong on the spinning wheel, the potter could take it and reshape it and make it what it wanted it to be. And maybe the clay wouldn't allow it to become one sort of vessel, but he could take it and make it into another sort of vessel. It was malleable. It, was, it, it could be changed. But once that vessel is made, once it's been fired, once it's been glazed, you can't do anything with it, except maybe to break it. And that's exactly what happens here. Once hardened, it's fit only for breaking. And then the Lord gives the meaning of it, that just as that vessel is broken, so the Lord will break this people and this city so that they can never be mended. You see, Jerusalem had become a vessel of wrath. Now, that language is significant. You may be familiar with how Paul uses that terminology in Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, Paul is, is talking about the tendency that people have when confronted with the sovereignty of God over salvation, to say, why does God still find fault? If what you say is true and God saves whom he will and hardens whom he will, then how can he blame a person for not believing? See, Romans 9 is valuable because Paul deals with the same objections to the sovereignty of God and salvation, also known as Calvinism, that you hear today. It's the very same objections. That's not fair. Paul deals with that one. Well, how, how can God blame a person if they're not elect for not believing? Well, you hear that one today. Paul deals with that one here. And his answer in verse 20 is, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction 
in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even for us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That last verse, by the way, is why this passage isn't just talking about Old Testament Israel being elect of God, but the individual believer then and now. Because Paul says, I'm not just talking about Jacob and Esau, and God's choosing Jacob over Esau. I'm not just talking about God's election of Israel out of the nations of the Old Testament. I'm talking about God's election of you, you Gentiles in Rome, to whom he was writing. Not only the Jews, also from the Gentiles. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. You see, in God's providence, that's what Jerusalem had become. Now, yes, there was a remnant. Paul talks about that in these chapters. Yes, there was a remnant. And yes, God's grace continued until it flowered uh, in the ministry of Jesus and then really came into full blossom in the book of Acts. However, at this point, Jerusalem and Judah, in their wickedness, had become a vessel of wrath. And just like that vessel that uh, Jeremiah took and broke, so God will break their city. And verse 12, thus will I do to this place, making this city like Topheth. Just like this valley, so the whole city will become a smoldering ruin, rubble. Houses of Jerusalem, the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roof offerings have been offered, the hosts of heaven, shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Well, then Jeremiah goes public uh, with his prophecy. Verse 14, remember they had been out in the valley of Hinnom, and he goes into the city. In fact, he goes to the court of the temple and announces the judgment of God. Verse 15, I'm bringing upon the city and upon all its towns all the disaster I've pronounced because they've stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. You see, that is the object lesson that Jeremiah uses to demonstrate to the people how God's going to break them, how God's going to smash them. But it didn't end there. Because you don't go to a place like Jerusalem that sees itself as God's people, that sees itself as doing okay, announce a message like Jeremiah announces, and uh, just walk away as though nothing had happened. In fact, that's what happens here. So the third place, we come to the opposition to Jeremiah that, um, interestingly enough, comes from some of the highest leadership in Jerusalem. This man, Pasher ben Emmer, Pasher, the son of Emmer, chief officer in the house of the Lord, probably second only to the high priest, an officer in charge of the house of the Lord, probably in charge of maintaining order, making sure everything was as it should be, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. What does he do? Well, Jeremiah, we read here of Jeremiah's punishment. First of all, he takes Jeremiah and he beats him probably given him the 40 lashes that are specified in Deuteronomy 25. Uh, you know, later, uh, by Paul's time, the Jews would administer the 40 lashes minus one, 39, Paul refers to receiving the 39 lashes, uh, probably going for 39 in case they miscounted and uh, they would not exceed 40. That's the kind of sophistry they would engage in. 
So they'd only give 39 unless they miscounted. Accidentally give 40, but certainly did not want to give 41 because that was more than Deuteronomy 25, verse 3 allowed. So he probably received the 40 lashes, and then it says he was put in stocks in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. That word stocks, the Hebrew word, comes from a root that means to distort, which gives you some idea of the pleasant uh, uh, situation that Jeremiah found himself in. Either what we would think of as stocks, as some sort of scaffold, or perhaps uh, a box that he would be placed in where he could not stand up straight, where he would be cramped. And left, and you can imagine the uh, fatigue that would set in and the cramping of the muscles that would set in from that crooked position or confined position. And Jeremiah was put into that for his troubles. And uh, the next day, when Pasher comes out, he releases Jeremiah, uh, perhaps thinking that was enough or maybe having second thoughts about what he <laughs> had done to Jeremiah and perhaps uh, hoping Jeremiah had learned his lesson. Jeremiah was a faithful prophet. He was going to deliver the message of the Lord regardless of what it might cost him. And Pasteur discovered uh, that Jeremiah was not uh, cowed into silence, just the opposite. He is all the more vehement in pronouncing not only on the city, but now on Pasteur, the judgment of God. The Lord does not call your name Pasteur, but terror on every side. Gives him a new name, and he explains that he will be a terror to himself, to all his friends who will fall by the swords of the enemy while, they, while he looks on, which seems to imply almost some, some complicity in what was going on. It's hard to know if that's exactly what was meant or not. Uh, at any rate, he himself, Pastor himself, shares in uh, this judgment of God. As Judah is given over to Babylon, taken captive by Babylon, the wealth taken by Babylon, and Pastor himself, verse 6, and all who dwell in your house, your whole family, your whole household, will go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go. There you shall die. You'll be taken out of your homeland, taken into a foreign country. You will never see your home again. You will die in exile in a foreign land. There you will be buried, you and your friends, to whom you have prophesied. Falsely. You see, Jeremiah was up against those who prophesied good news, who prophesied blessings, who prophesied God's favor to Jerusalem in spite of all her sins, in spite of all her rebellion. But Jeremiah's dead on. All of those words are false. All of those words are wrong. They can beat Jeremiah, they can lock up Jeremiah, but the fact is, he's telling the truth uh, as Jeremiah. Uh, himself lived to see his own prophecies fulfilled, and ghastly and horrific they were indeed in their fulfillment. But what do we make of this? What does this have to do with us? Well, once again, it is a warning to us how seriously God takes one sin. You know, you may start thinking, well, you know, another, another prophecy of judgment. I'm sure Jeremiah got as tired of that as you might. But what does this tell us? It tells us God's opposition to, his hatred of our sin and rebellion. But it also speaks to us of God's patience. Suppose Judah had repented. Suppose Jerusalem had repented. Well, they had their bright spots, but at one point it was too late. 
But in our own day, it's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to turn to the Lord and to forsake our sin and to believe in God's provision for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it warns us of God's opposition to sin, how fiercely he hates sin. And we need to hear that. When you think of the kinds of things God brought on Jerusalem because of their sin, and we recognize that was not overkill. You know, we confess and we say that every sin deserves the wrath and condemnation of God. But we tend by nature to minimize our sin. And so by hearing a passage such as this, we are reminded of the intense hatred with which God views sin. But we're also reminded of the grace and the patience of God. Time and again, the message is given, calling them back. If you would only repent, if you would turn back to me. God didn't destroy Jerusalem quickly or easily. It took a long time. It took a lot of rebellion. It took a lot of sin. It took beating and refusing to hear the messages of a lot of prophets. God shows his patience in this passage. He shows his grace that he sent Jeremiah at all. Even with so dire a message, he shows his patience and his mercy. You know, Paul in Romans speaks of the mercy and the severity of God. And in a passage even like this, while we certainly see the severity, we also see the mercy. We also need to recognize in the third place that this is a type, this is a foreshadowing of that judgment that we spoke of this morning, of the return of Christ, of that great day of judgment, when those in Christ will be received into a glorious inheritance, when those who have never believed in Christ and those who have turned their backs on him or those who follow him only in word but not in truth will experience a judgment that Jesus describes that will, again, far outpass any judgment that we find described in the book of Jeremiah, a judgment of which this judgment on Jerusalem is merely a type, merely a foreshadowing. You know, it hints there of the fire, the smoke going up out of Jerusalem, just like the smoke went up out of the valley of Hinnom, truly a picture of hell itself. But that Jeremiah went at all, that the Lord had a message warning the people at all, is an invitation to repent. And dear friends, the gospel comes to us both with bad news and good news. The bad news is that the judgment of God is coming. You know, when those of the Pharisee party came to John the Baptist, he said, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? But dear friends, the scriptures warn us to flee the wrath to come. But they also had the good news of the refuge of Jesus Christ. We, not, we, we flee not merely from the wrath to come, but we flee to the refuge that is Christ Jesus. And as we think about what he provided, it might help to think of it in these terms, that everything the Lord promised or threatened upon Jerusalem and that ultimately came upon Jerusalem is only a shadow only a type of what Jesus endured for you, for me, and for everyone who will take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your grace when we recognize that Jesus would suffer a judgment far worse than Jerusalem did 
for the sake of his sheep. Father, we pray that in hearing again these words of judgment, that we would be chastened to deal seriously and severely with the sin that we find in our lives, not to coddle it or baby it, play games, to recognize how much you hate sin. But Father, help us also to be in Christ, to grow in Christ. We thank you, Father, that we have a Savior. We thank you that in your grace we will never experience the horrors of your wrath and your judgment. Father, we also thank you for Jeremiah, a faithful prophet, even when opposed, even when he suffered physically. We pray, Father, that we too might be faithful uh, with the gospel, even in a time when it may be rejected, even a time when, when people may attack the messenger because of the message. But, Father, we thank you for your faithful servant, Jeremiah, and pray that, like him, we too would be bold for you, faithful to you, regardless of cost. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.